Welcome, Bajek and Brown. Hoops up and down listeners. This is episode number 17. It is October 9th, 2020. Uh, momentarily, me and Bob will be joined by a very, very special guest out of Chicago, Illinois, Mr. Reggie Brown out of Priority Sports Biz. Uh, he will share his insights and wisdom and over his 23 years uh, as a sports agent for NBA players, also as a talent evaluation scout for the pre-NBA draft camps, and as well as his tales of uh, collegiate coaching at the assistant level and playing as well. So folks, we're uh, looking forward to a very exciting and knowledge field uh, episode. Uh, but first in this intro, I'd like to, of course, folks, you know, listeners, I'm from the Omaha, Nebraska, Council Bluffs, Iowa area, and I would like to pay respects to a legend and a Hall of Famer uh, who we recently lost last week uh, in the great Bob Gibson. Uh, Bob Gibson was born in Omaha, Nebraska in 1935. Of course, he went on to, to fame as the Hall of Fame pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, in his career, uh, he set many, many records and really changed the game of pitching in the major leagues, uh, amassing over 250 wins, over 3,000 strikeouts. He, uh, Bob Gibson was a nine-time All-Star. He won the World Series twice with the St. Louis Cardinals in 1964 and 67, and of course had maybe the most dominant year in sports, of maybe any athlete ever in 1968, uh, as he led the league in ERA wins and strikeouts, and still holds the all-time single-season record for the lowest ERA, and also pitched a no-hitter as well uh, for the St. Louis Cardinals. So there in Omaha, Nebraska, and across the baseball world and the sports world, we want to pay our tribute and give a final goodbye uh, to the great Bob Gibson. Folks, stay tuned for the 17th edition of Beijing and Brown Hoops Up and Down podcast special special guest Reggie Brown. Thank you. Welcome everybody to the 17th edition of Beijing and Brown Hoops Up and Down podcast. It is October 9th, Friday. Uh, folks, me and Bob have a very, very special guest for this edition. Uh, Mr. Reggie Brown. We'll be joining us out of Illinois from Priority Sports Biz. Um, and we're going to start a very, very good episode. Uh, he will share with us experiences about working with the uh, working with the NBA players for the pre-draft camp, and also a little bit about the insight of uh, coaching days in the collegiate level, and also along with uh, bringing along players, you know, in their, in their contracts in the NBA career. Uh, we're joined now by Bob from Lincoln, Nebraska. Bob, how are you? What up, BNB Nation? Folks, and Bob, you had, you're doing okay today? You're doing good? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's, it's a very, very beautiful day. It's kind of hot outside. Well, folks, Bob Bob says it's hot because he's been at a beach in Malcolm, Nebraska. <laughs> so he's out drinking pina coladas and uh, Bud Lights for the last two hours. Is that right? <laughs> totally. And folks, without any further ado, I'd like to bring in our, our special guest for today's episode, again, representing Priority Sports Biz out of Chicago, Illinois. Uh, Bajak and Brown audience, please welcome Mr. Reggie Brown. Mr. Brown, Coach Brown, how are you doing today, sir? I'm good. How y'all doing? How y'all doing, man? Thanks for having me. Doing fantastic, Coach. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Um, a good uh, weather day in Chicago. Um for October, pretty good here. Uh, unfortunately, I was, you know, kind of been in the house all day. I ran out for a little bit and uh, got a chance to get a little bit of this good weather. 
because I know it won't last long. We, we're pretty lucky to have this type of weather here in Chicago at this time of the year. Absolutely. Coach Brown, that's what me and Bob were discussing. He was saying it was about 90 degrees there in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, a little, little warmer than we are here in Illinois. And Absolutely. Coach Brown, can, can you start out? We um, we, we had in our intro, we just did. I, I think we had mentioned off the air, uh, Coach Brown, I grew up in the Omaha, Nebraska area, and we mm-hmm. paid tributes to a, uh, you know, this is a hoops podcast, but uh, the great Bob Gibson uh, passed away recently. Oh. Uh, do you have any memories of, of growing up as a uh you know, maybe a young athlete and maybe what Bob Gibson meant to you as a baseball player and as just as an athlete growing up? You know, I just I just knew uh, he was one of the elite uh, uh, baseball players of, of our time. You know, I don't know um, historically, you know, his accomplishments because I was so locked in and tuned in to basketball. You know, I didn't follow him, but I knew um, he was one of the greats and I knew his name and, uh, you know, rest in peace. Absolutely, Coach Brown. A, a fun fact, too, about Mr. Gibson is that he actually did play basketball. He was on a scholarship at Creighton University and played there for uh, several years as well, also with the Harlem Globetrotters. Wow. You never knew yeah, that. So he did dabble in the hoops world. Never knew that. Yeah, yeah, he was a great all-around athlete. Well, Coach Brown, I'll, I'll go ahead and turn over to uh, our co-host, Bob, and uh, Bob will have a few uh, brief questions for you as well, Mr. Brown. Okay, okay. Uh, Reggie, can you tell our audience what, what got you to love basketball when you were a kid? Well, I kind of uh, – my whole family uh, played basketball. Um, I kind of rebelled in the beginning. I, I, I grew up on the west side of Chicago, uh, very, very tough neighborhood, and I uh, attempted to participate in some some things that um, wasn't uh, – uh, accepted in my in my household, I had a a father who was a strong disciplinarian, um, and I uh, got into some trouble early on, and I ended up playing basketball just to get off punishment because I was on punishment for some some things I did in the neighborhood that I shouldn't have been doing and hanging out with some some kids that my dad told me not to hang out with, and I went to um, uh, a really, really good grammar school program on the west side of Chicago called Resurrection. Uh, Resurrection had a phenomenal basketball program, and my dad was one of the coaches at, at this uh, grammar school here in, uh, in, in, in Chicago. So I, uh, I was on punishment for an entire summer, and then when school started back, I thought I was going to be off punishment but come to find out I wasn't off punishment. So I get this bright idea to, you know, just to do something to get out the house, I was going to try out for the basketball team. I wasn't very good. And um, I, uh, they actually had a, a in seventh grade. I didn't start to seventh grade. Now my whole family played basketball. I'm sure you all probably already know Randy Brown who played for the Chicago Bulls is my first cousin. But Randy played baseball, basketball, and, you know, Randy was an all-around athlete. So I had all my younger cousins, all my uh, other cousins, everybody in my family played basketball. My dad was really good. My uncles was really good. And uh, so I just showed up to try out and wasn't very good. They had an a, a and a B team in seventh grade, and they only kept 10 on each team. And 
that year I was lucky enough for them to keep 21. And I barely played. In fact, I had the same uniform number as a, from an old uniform that a guy had that played. I never took my shooting top off. But uh, my cousin worked with me. Uh, my older cousin, uh, Myron, who lived with us at the time, worked with me early in the morning every every day after the season, like all after the season. And I improved in a, in a short period of time. And uh, long story short, I went back to tryouts. I was basically told, you know, eighth grade year that, you know, right before trials that they were only keeping 12 people. And the coach told me, although your dad coaches here, I'm not going to be able to keep 13 people this year. And, but he asked me to, you know, hang around and be around the team and be the manager. And I was like, man, I don't want to be no manager, but you know, he didn't know the improvement I had over the summer. So long story short, I, I went to tryout and it's over 50 some kids in tryouts at Resurrection. Now, this was a big time grammar school program. A lot of uh, a lot of talent. I know. I know you heard Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas played at Resurrection also, and then uh, Daryl Thomas, Tony Reader. Like it's a, a plethora of names that come out of Resurrection. A lot of great great basketball players come out of Resurrection, and uh, the coach uh, stopped the tryouts in the middle before trials were even over apologized to me in front of the team because he said that he never saw a player improve uh, this much in a short period of time. And he made me captain of the basketball team before the trials was even over with. And I fell in love with basketball from there. Uh, Reggie, can you tell us a little bit what you learned from your dad with basketball? Cause you said that he was a coach. Uh, my, my, my dad was a really, really good shooter and a, and a really, really good athlete. And uh, so I learned how to shoot early on, but I wasn't, you know, strong enough to shoot the way my dad was, was teaching me to shoot. But he gave me the the, the basic fundamentals of the game. Oh, but I had a, a I guy. Hello. Are you there, Reggie? Yeah. Yes, I, I'm sorry about the coach Brown. I think so. we have a live listener. If everybody can please mute their mics for Bezik and Brown, please. Thank you. Okay, I thought I said something. I thought something you know, oh, no, you're know. good. You're good, Reggie. <laughs> okay, so basically... Um, yeah, my bad. That was my, my, I didn't know I was, my mic wasn't muted. Yeah, my, my dad, you know, showed me how to shoot the ball and taught me the fundamentals of the game. Uh, told me how important it was to put forth effort all the time because not everything will go go well every day. Um, and he, taught, he expressed the importance of of uh, discipline and, and uh, <clears throat> uh, practicing over and over again. And I had a guy named uh, Ray Clark who stayed two doors down from me. And uh, Ray Clark was an unbelievable ball player. And Ray Clark used to have me uh, in his backyard with these little pallets in his grass, these little brick pallets in his, in his grass, working on my ball handling. And between him and a guy named Ronaldo Williams, who also went to Resurrection. He was an older guy. He, they were amazing. When I tell you amazing ball handlers, and I was just infatuated with how they were able to handle the ball. So I, And they, they told me that if I was able to handle the ball, that no matter what I did, I'd be able to play 
basketball anywhere because ball handling is the most underappreciated skill set in, in, in art and basketball. He said a lot of people, you know, can can shoot or, or do other things, but it's very few ball handlers that, that sit on the bench. So I um I practiced on my ball handling and then I grew and I had you know and I ended up being six four. So I, my ball handling skills, you know, uh went with me with my height and then I became uh, you know a really good shooter when I got strong enough and athletic enough to to do other things on the court, you know, I it helped help big time. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your um, high school career, about s- some of the great players that you played up against, and um, maybe if you ever practiced or had one on one against uh, your cousin Randy? Oh yeah, we had we had our we had our battles. Um, Think about Randy, like it, it was like, um, and I, I, I'll answer your question in a second. I just want to talk about Randy for a, a second because, you know, when I go talk to kids and I have basketball camps, I talk about how great Randy was early on without us even recognizing it. Because I used to talk about, you know, they they call it crossover now, but we call it shake people up. In fact, my nickname is shake. So my ball handling ability, I was just talking about who I was going to shake up and you know my my who how many points I was gonna score on somebody and uh, my my other guy was talking about who he's gonna dunk on because he was super athletic and Randy used to talk about who he was gonna lock up and and we thought that was the corniest thing in the world. We was like, what? What are you talking about? He literally used to play full court defense outside for pickup ball and took pride in stopping whoever the best player was like early on. And it was like, he knew his calling. It was, it was amazing. Now that I, I, you know, hindsight, think about what was going on right before our eyes at at the time. It was like, he knew that was going to be his calling card. So I like to like say that about him. And he ended up, of course, you know, he ended up having an 11 year career in the NBA, got three championships with Michael Jordan and, you know, known as their number one perimeter defender. So, you know, the story goes on and on with that. But um, high school, um, I went to Weber High School at first. Um, Weber uh, had a coach uh, named Jim Harrington who ended up going out to Elgin. And when I left uh, Weber, I went to Scherz High School. I averaged uh, 24 points a game in high school with no three-point line. And not to sound braggadocious, but – I know I made a minimum of four and or four five threes a game. So do the math, and uh, you know we talk about probably would have broke some records back then. That's about Pete Maravich's <laughs> time, right, Coach? You've been like the Pete Maravich in Chicago. Yeah, the, actually, the three point line didn't come into play until my first year uh, of college. In my first year of college. In wow. 87. The three-point line didn't come in in 80 to 87. So I was uh I was born too soon. <laughs> yeah, so um yeah, I did I you know I had a you know when I got to Shurs high school, you know, they were in the middle of the of the pack and we um we had a really good team. I had Big Moshe, 
um, Ken Grinstead, Herman Campbell, guy named Eddie Parks. They called Goonie. We had a really good team. We made we made some noise in the Red North. You know, using the Red Division back then, that was that was the top division, and uh, we had a really really good team. And uh, we uh, I think we finished second in our in our league. And then in my senior year, we retired for first, if I remember right. I think Von Steuben – no, Von Steuben won it out. Von Steuben won it out because of uh, mm. home and away games. I forget what what it was. So, But, yeah, I had a good feeling. A lot of people, you know, not to sound braggadocious once again, but um, I had uh, Marcus Liberty. I don't know if you knew who Marcus Liberty was. He was the number one player in the nation. And he gave me the ultimate compliment um, by saying, you know, he, Marcus Liberty played in the NBA. He said that um, I was Steph Curry before Steph Curry. But, oh, wow. Yeah. And that's that's how I played, wow. you know. Um, that's how I played, you know. Ball handling, I could shoot the ball from anywhere in the gym. I tell people every time I'm open as soon as I get out of my car. <laughs> so – uh, you were like downtown Freddie yeah, Brown there, yeah, right, Coach? Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Mahmoud Abdul-Rahim. All those guys. So, but, you know, in all honesty, the way I played was discouraged versus encouraged. You know, I, I drove my, my coaches crazy at times. You know, it just – it took a while for my coach, every coach I had to to warm up to me and, and to, to you know, just give me a little leeway. I have to – give something to get something, you know, but I was never turned loose and, and was able to just play my game because, you know, some of the shots I, I took and made scared them. And, you know, my coach used to say, Brown, you got to be the luckiest basketball player on the planet. And I'm like, coach, it's not luck. It, it, coach, <laughs> it's, not, it's not luck. It's going in. It's not luck. You know, but you know, you see it, you know, I should see a press and, you know, I didn't back away from it, you know, Player, even my players that I coached could tell you some of the things I was able to do. You know, I didn't – I see a press, and I just want to break the press by myself because I, I thought I handled the ball that good. So I was just like, you know, just give me the ball. I'll be down there in a few seconds. That's kind of how I was. And my mm. coaches be like, no, Brown, no, no, no. And then, I, you know, I, I'll get it accomplished most of the time. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, Red, can, can you tell? Yeah, can you tell us about just um, the Chicago, the Chicago League um, in high school? Just because a lot of great players come from there, whether they go on the playground after or they're in college, overseas, or NBA. Can you tell us just how competitive it was? Because like nationally, it's one of the the top ones. Yeah, without exaggeration, and, and no, no disrespect to no other city in the world. But there are a plethora of players that never made it out of Chicago that you wouldn't believe how good they are. You could literally go to any gym or any or, or back in the day when there was a lot of pickup ball. It's not a lot of outside pickup ball on the playgrounds now. You know, it's just it's different. But back then. You can go to any court and you would be amazed that the ball players 
are that good and you were un- you couldn't understand why they're not in school, why they're not playing pro, why they're not doing this and not doing that. And, you know, even even when I was coaching, you know, there, there were guys that I tried to recruit and get to school, but not everyone could, you know, be a part of a, a program or a system and go to class every day. It takes discipline and structure and, you know, it, it, it's a it's a big commitment. And a lot of those guys couldn't do that. And, but they could play basketball. They could play basketball. And then they, you know, they kind of fell into other things, you know, drugs, alcohol, uh, gangs, you know, and a lot of different things, you know, roadblocks, you know, kind of locked them in and, and they just never got out. They just never got out. But it was a, there's a, there's a ton of talent here. It's a ton of talent here. And let's segue to your college career. Can you tell us a little bit about um, where you went to school, uh, just that environment, like how you've improved, you improved your game there, and then also maybe what you studied when you were in college? Well, when I um, first came out, I, um, I made a verbal commitment to Southwest Missouri State with Coach Charlie Spoonhour, but um, they weren't supposed to announce because I wasn't done um, with my visits, so my dad you know, got really upset that they announced that I was, I had signed or committed or whatever the case with Southwest Missouri State, and he's told him I wasn't coming. So he made the decision to intercept that for me to go to Southwest Missouri State at the time. I uh, thought I was going there. I qualified, so I ended up going to College of DuPage my first year. Um, but I was a qualifier, so I only played one year at COD, and then I um, I had Lafayette Stribling at Mississippi Valley State, who kept recruiting me, and he um, he told my dad um, that you know look we're we're a small D one, we play all the big time schools, but I think he sold my dad on the fact that he told my dad he didn't know how good of a basketball player I would be, but he promised my dad that when I left him, I'll be a better man. And he was going to uh, groom me and guide me to be a, a mature and a, a, a really good young man. And my dad was sold on that. And that's how I ended up at Mississippi Valley State. Played down there in the SWAC. Unbelievable amount of talent in the SWAC. We had a really good team. Um, down in Mississippi Valley State, and uh, they did everything that they told me they were going to do. Um, later on, I ended up um, – I'm just trying to brief the stories out as much as possible. Um, I ended up in South Dakota um, later in my my last year because of the, uh, the coaching – once again, a coaching change. So I ended up leaving, and I played my last year in Huron, South Dakota. And I end up meeting um, different players, and there's a ton of players up there. And uh, I didn't even know. That's when I found out that the uh, Native Americans are big-time basketball fans. And I should go on the reservations and couldn't believe some of the basketball players, Native American basketball players that I saw on the reservation, uh, reservations that we went to those these money tournaments. And I got to see all the talent in South Dakota. And I ended up staying up there and coaching in South Dakota. I got my first coaching job 
at uh, Dakota State. And then I left Dakota State and I ended up at uh, in grad school at South Dakota State. And my undergrad was uh, secondary um, education and uh, PE. I thought I was going to be uh, a teacher or maybe an athletic director. Uh, you know, I planned on coaching forever. And then I, when I was in grad school, I was a, a pedagogy major, which was uh, sports management and administrative PE, which is kind of uh, in the direction of the field I'm in now as a sports agent. And uh, I, uh, you know, the thing with coaching, you know, I, I coached for seven years. The thing with coaching is when you win, uh, you're trying to move on to a bigger and better place. And when you lose, they're asking you to leave. So my address changed um, in, shoot, what, I want to say three times in four years, almost five years, because I had got, uh, I was working Tim Haskins basketball camps in Minnesota every summer. And I was uh, on point to have a position with the University of Minnesota and I don't know if you guys remember, but they had a, a academic scandal back then um, with the NCAA and the entire staff left University of Minnesota. And that was my next goal. And that's how I ended up like coming back to Chicago. Um, my daughter was born, I think, uh, two years before that. So I didn't want to keep moving around and bouncing around. So I uh, moved back to Chicago to take a a more um, stable job, and I was I planned on getting back into coaching, and um, I met uh, Mark Bottlestein at the uh, at, in the basketball program that I was running here in Chicago, and uh, he uh, interviewed me four times before he officially hired me, and here I am, 23 years later. What do you think coaching taught you, Reggie? Um, I, well, first of all, I just had a, a different insight, um, as a coach and just how to be more, um, organized, more structured. And I, I think my, my, uh, my bread and butter was, I, I didn't coach, you know, I taught players and I coached players. And I got in them, but I, 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 I learned to manage the personalities. And I think if you have a good feel for that personality, you can get more out of them. You can push them. You can have tough conversations with the players. You can have – you can know when to back off and leave them alone. Um, you, just, you just got different things. So I, I think coaching just showed me – one as a as a player, how big of a pain I I could have been, because <laughs> I learned I learned my lesson, I learned my <laughs> lesson as a as a as a coach because some of the same stuff I dished out as a player, I got in return as a coach, and I, I kind of understood that I looked at the game different, the game slowed down in my brain so much. It was just amazing how you could be a whole three to five seconds 
ahead of something just by coaching. And if you are able to transfer that to a, a player when they're in their prime and, and while they're still participating, that it's, a, it's an amazing thing to see. And I got so much gratification out of watching guys progress and improve and get better. And it, it was just amazing. It was amazing. Tell us a little bit about um, you being an NBA agent. You know, there's not that many people who get to be, um, you know, representing elite athletes. What kind of transition was that like for you? And how do you think your previous background helped you to be effective? Well, I, I um, first of all, it, there wasn't a day that went by that I didn't think I'd be in the NBA. Like I really thought um, with more guidance, more know-how, you know, if I, you know, if people say if, if I knew what I knew now, and I, I honestly think I was good enough to play. I honestly think I was good enough to play. So when I had this opportunity, I was, I was never starstruck. I was never starstruck. And I, I think that's, it's kind of weird in a way because I was never like that. I, I you know, and I, and I have so much respect for everybody. Like I had, I had, I had respect for the last guy on every team that I coached, the, like the worst player, whoever that was. And I, I got so much respect for the, the worst player in the NBA, whoever that is, because as an athlete, I know how much work goes into getting to that level. And as an agent, I never wanted it to be my fault. So I treat every single client and every single opportunity and every day as if I was in the NBA and if I didn't do what I was supposed to do or work as hard as I'm supposed to work, that I would no longer be in the NBA. And I didn't want that to happen to me and I definitely don't want it to happen to any of my clients under my, on my watch. So I'm like full blown in, full speed in. And it, it's, it's a, it takes a toll on your family. It really does. But, you know, I committed to it. I signed up for it. And I know how fragile this thing is. And I understand that it could be gone overnight. And I can't have mistakes or uh, my fault on my watch. It just can't happen. So it's it, it, it's tough, and um, I learned just through coaching. First of all, I played, I coached, I even been a referee. So I, I I've experienced every aspect of basketball. So I understand what it feels to be in all those positions. I understand um, the conversations that I need to have with my client after a game because the coach is riding them. Like I understand uh, the conversation I need to have when I need to have a guy dial back. I understand the conversation I need to have when a guy not doing enough and not putting forth for effort and he's not showing up early and leaving late. Like I understand all those things because I've been on the chalkboard and I've been the recipient in the locker room for the information that's on the chalkboard. So it's just, just so many experiences that you bring to the table that you can help these guys because a lot of people you know in the public don't humanize 
the NBA athlete. You know, you see this this gifted player, and you think about or all the money they make to doing something that most people go do for free, and you just kind of view it as, you know, uh, he got every he got it made. He don't have no problems. He don't have nothing. But they human. They got the same issues and problems that, that you and I have every day and I treat them as such and I understand what they're going through and I do uh, know what it's like to be human and they want to be treated as such you know I'm not the yes man uh, and they got a lot of people around them telling them how great they are and you know every day they got those guys around I'm not going to be that guy Cause I gotta be, the, I gotta be the truth, sir. You know, I, like I told you, uh, I think you heard me say this before. I'm the producer, uh, Keep It Real Records, and and they, yeah, they need, they need, <laughs> they like need that. that realness. They they need that realness. Some of them can't handle it, but you know, at the end of the day, they'll know that you were being truthful with them and you were being real with them, and those tough conversations came from the heart, and that's how I go. Absolutely. And folks, we want to thank you again for listening in. To, this is the 17th edition of Bajek and Brown Hoops Up and Down podcast. We're joined by our very special guest, Mr. Reggie Brown uh, of Priority Sports Biz out of Chicago, Illinois, and Los Angeles. Uh, Mr. Bra- Coach Brown, we had a couple mm-hmm. uh, listener questions come in. Uh, one came from our mutual friend and our uh, our commandant, Mr. <laughs> the Great Neil Askew. Um, the question... Basically, and I don't know if he wants to get on and answer. Neil, do you want to get on and, and uh, go ahead and say your piece here, sir? Can you Mr. Askew? Yeah, I told him. Yeah, we can hear you, Neil. Why don't you, why don't you uh, give him some of that knowledge that you have about – I know you know some of the fellows that were on uh, – because you're from the Chicago area on uh, movies that we might have seen, like Hoop Dreams and things like that. Because I told him you used to have a whole bunch of stories that you used to tell us back in the day when you were coaching. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey man. Neil, what's going on, man? Hey, Neil, I, I told you you was one of my favorites, bro. You was one of my favorites, man. I promise. But, man, Neil, I'm – Neil. Bob, N- Neil, Neil Askew is a legend. A legend. The 1991 Player wow, of the Year in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Neil Askew. Wow, man. I didn't even know that. You should have told me I, I recruited a, a – a player of the year? Wow. I didn't know I had that type of ability up there at, at Dakota State all this time. You been holding back, Neil. You was holding back all this time. And I'm surprised you was listening. So you must I think I think we just lost <laughs> Coach Brown. I think we might have scared him off because he, he dropped oh, the yeah, line. So did. I think he got intimidated. Oh, I think you shook him up. That was your nickname, Shake, and I think you shook him up. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Coach Coach Brown, you Coach Brown, you mentioned something earlier, which is very interesting. That you played the College of the Page, and that is actually where uh, me and Bob met. At we were both students. At we COD, were chaperones really? at the College of the Page, so I guess we do have that in common. Yeah, right there in Glen. I would never know it, Coach. We met there, and uh, Bob, you were, I, I when you was, were the sports editor there. Wonder, is that correct? You know, I'm forgetting the coach's name, but he coached there more than 30 years. He, he we might have run into the same gentleman then. Don Cross. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Cross. Yeah. His name was yeah. Don Cross, right? Because Coach Brown, he was coaching the men well, and the women, was, right, no, Bob? We were coaching, there. He was, he was coaching, coaching both the teams. Men, but he had an assistant coach that was coaching the girls, and then he'd be the assistant for the men. 
Well, if y'all go back, yeah. If y'all, yeah, go he was back, still there when we were I there. Got the record for threes, ten for eleven, in the Thanksgiving tournament. Wow. Wow. Hey, Coach Brown, would you? No, I, I can I guess I'll ask Neil's question on his part for him, Bob. Is that his question was, and you and Bob touched on it earlier, Coach? Is that when you see guys like in Chicago? Uh, you mentioned like in my era, Coach what? Brown. There was a guy named Paul McPherson <laughs> out of Joliet. That was just a tremendous player in my in my era that I remember growing up watching. And you know, he I know he played in the NBA, but what would what would be the difference between a guy like maybe like that? That's a that's a great player overseas in Europe. And a French player, what, what would you, what advice do you give to those players who say, "Hey, you know, Coach Brown, I'm, I'm a great player. I should be playing in the NBA. I'm better than the tenth or the twelfth man, but I'm stuck in Europe." What advice well, would you give to those? First of all, let me address Paul McPherson. I represented Paul McPherson. When I really, tell okay, you, I didn't know that, Coach. Pound for pound, without exaggeration. No. The highest jumper? He might have been one of the, the oh. best players. Although he made it to fall short of what he could have been. When I tell you, Paul, listen. Wow. When I had it was a once upon a time when I, I was in the when I had this is in the Michael Jordan era. Mike Finley, Donnie Boise. Antoine Walker. Yeah. Yep. Antoine out, Walker. Out of Maywood, right? My cousin Randy. Kevin Edwards. Pete Myers. I mean, the gym was loaded with NBA players. Pete like, Myers. Flooded with NBA players. And when I tell you, Paul McPherson was unstoppable. When he when he developed that little 15 foot jumper. You you couldn't do nothing with him, and you he was so strong and so athletic. Mm-hmm. He, he was amazing. I call him Baby LeBron before LeBron. He had speed, and, and <laughs> we talk they, about they, an athlete. They, you know what I'm talking about, Theo. He was. Uh, oh, oh yeah, Coach Brown. Because I I think. I think they called him P-Mac. They used to call him Baby T-Mac. They thought it was going to be Tracy McGrady when he was with uh, Quentin Richardson at DePaul he and Stephen Hunter amazing. and Bobby Simmons and those guys. Now, he listen, this is a, a, a true story as far as I know. I wasn't there, but more than a few people told me. When he played for the Phoenix Suns, they had Jason Kidd, Penny Hardaway, Mario Ellie, Sean Marion, I think Sean was there. Um, Absolutely. Matrix was there. Yeah, Sean Matrix was there. Uh, Dan Marley. Well, that, that's enough names right there. But they used to play. They used to play one-on-one knockout <laughs> every day. Every day. Paul won for the whole season. And they couldn't stop him. But this wow. is the thing about Paul that a lot of people don't know. Whenever he felt like it, you couldn't even get a shot off on him. I mean, I've seen him block jump shots. He was so laterally athletic, vertically athletic. 
wingspan, strength. You couldn't get around them, and you couldn't shoot over them, and you couldn't move them. And I should see him take jump shots out the air whenever he felt like it. Like he get teed off, and he guard you. You couldn't do nothing with him. I call it the pillowcase. Not, nothing pillow you can do. Your head. <laughs> you put that pillowcase over your head. <laughs> but but Co- Co- Coach Brown, what, what what did you say? What would you do for like not not his situation in particular, but uh, what we were saying, players of that level of Paul McPherson of uh, I'm just trying to think anybody like in New York when we were watching yeah. Skip to Malu and and one mixtape. Yeah. He was the king. He invented the mixtape, but he was a backing up San Jose in Milwaukee. You know what? Do, what do you do for a guy like that when he's trying yeah, it, to make it, his niche tough, in the NBA? You know because. You, you got to find the right fit. Like I said, a lot of these guys could play now. Like Skip to Malou, like he, his game would be welcome now. And, I, and he didn't have the shooting element, but the ball handling wizardry and, and, and things of that nature are, is accepted now. Like Steph Curry, like the, the, the uh, Kyrie, those ball handling wizards, those guys are accepted now. You know, Rod Strickland had it, but, you know, uh, Rod Strickland knew how to – how to modify it where he oh, didn't yeah. let it he just do it show it to you and and be done but a lot of guys will show it to you let it hang in there for a little bit tease a little bit more and and then go on with it with the showmanship part yeah and and and, 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 and that was discouraged like i said back then but now you know it's welcomed and and, and those guys could play in this era now those guys could play in this era now and i just say listen there's no question that there's a lot of political hurdles in the NBA and even over in Europe. So you have to be direct in knowing or finding what it is that they're looking for. You got to be direct and you got to have those conversations. And I try to have those conversations with my clients, with team management, with the coaches and so on and so forth. Cause I want the expectations to be clear with the client and or the organization as what you need from my client. And if anything else. Are you saying this coach Brown is kind of like if you got a guy going into the summer league and you know that he's a, Maybe like the young man we were referring to last night off air, but if he's a scoring guard in college, but this, the ball club needs him to be a, a pass first point guard, you don't want his role to be diminished yeah, I, in summer I, league I or in the mini camps. With um with Isaiah Cannon, let me give you Isaiah Cannon that we talked about from Murray State, you know, who played in the NBA for six years. Okay, Correct. now in my opinion, just listen to what I'm saying now. In my opinion. Isaiah Cannon is a poor, poor, poor. Now, I say a poor. How many times? Four <laughs> times. Okay. Version four, of four Damian times. Lillard. But that's still damn good. But that's still damn good. Ooh. Now, if you watch Isaiah closely. Yes, it is. If you watch Isaiah closely, you could just you could Google any of his highlights. You tell me if I'm wrong. Now, I said poor four times. But I'm almost, I'm almost kind of <laughs> disrespecting Isaiah by saying it four times because I know what he's capable of and I know his potential. 
And if you watched him play at Murray State and saw what he did, and then you put a side by side, absolutely did. Lillard, it's very similar. Same type of athleticism. You know, he he probably not he. I, I said poor four times because you know, Damian is unbelievable as far as a scorer and shooter and and Isaiah is is is, is he has that ability. But when you get to the NBA, he gets the label as not being known as a traditional point guard. Well, you drafted him 32 in the draft. Like, and you bring him in and you sign him, this team sign him, this team sign him, and you expect him to be something different. Like, I, I never understood that. Like, you know what you're getting with him. So why try to change that when it's, it's productive and it's helpful? Why to try to why to try to turn him into a pure point guard, and then when he stops shooting and be a pure point guard, and those other guys aren't finishing, now he's a competitor and he wants to win, so he's gonna revert back to trying to score in order to win, but yet he gets penalized for not shooting. Absolutely. And point guards are judged on wins and losses. So if the team don't win with him being a traditional point guard, he gets all the blame. So not so absolutely. And coach, we we kind of saw that too, maybe here in Chicago, like when me and Bob, you know, maybe even for the shorter guards like Nate Robinson or uh, for a guy like Isaiah Thomas, uh, they they had that same mode as Isaiah Cannon, and they kind of got blamed for those things when they got to run teams. Because I I definitely did see Isaiah Cannon. He uh defeated my cousin's team in, in the 2012 NCAA tournament. So I did get to see him play. Yeah. Ian uh, Cameron yeah. Payne. So, yeah, it was uh, – yeah, I, I just – you know, that that's the part that's um, discouraging for me. Now, not, and, and the other part is, like, when these guys get to the next level, <clears throat> although they work hard uh, trying to get to that level, they work even harder once they get there because they know how hard it is to stay. And they put in relentless hours improving their, their skill sets and their craft. And these guys become better shooters, better athletes, damn, better condition. I'm sorry, listeners, again, can, can we have you please mute your mics, please? As Bajak and Brown Hoops Up and Down Podcast, listeners, please mute your mics. All right, no problem. No problem. I'm, I'm sorry about that, Coach. I apologize. Uh, coach, we we, we had a uh, – uh, speaking mm-hmm. of Bob, Bob had a question earlier. Uh, we were speaking, Coach, of some of the politics and, of course, some of the things that are going on in the world right now. And, Bob, we, we had a, a listener question involving uh, Sterling Brown. Is that correct, Bob? Yeah, about so, the, you know, you like represent Mr. Sterling Brown, who uh, yep. is on the great Milwaukee Bucks. It came up a little short in the playoffs this year. But Sterling had an incident – two years ago um, in Milwaukee where he basically got jumped by police uh, in just excessive force. So um, I guess what's your viewpoint on police reform and um, to help these, uh, your age, your agents do, uh, or as i sorry, I mean, your players do, uh, you know, be safe in, in a situation like this. Cause I mean, you, you wouldn't think that somebody from the NBA would be a target for that, but I mean, you've had him and, Cephalosha a few years back. Yeah. Well, I um 
got that phone call from Sterling Brown at three o'clock in the morning. I was the first person to get the phone call and I assisted in helping him get out. And Sterling is one of my clients who's a straight shooter. He doesn't, you know, if he does something and if he's re- responsible for something, he owns it, owns up to it. So when he told me basically that, you know, um, the police, uh, for no apparent reason, uh, harmed him and, and locked him up for parking in a handicapped spot while he ran in Walgreens, asked to search his vehicle, and Sterling's dad is a police officer in Maywood, Illinois. Retired police officer now. He does security still for uh, one of the casinos here in Chicago. But And his dad was an unbelievable police officer. Really, really good police officer. So Sterling knows a little bit about the law more so than, than the average person. So he knew they weren't allowed to search his car. He didn't have anything in the car. He just told the, the officer, you can't, no, you can't go in my car. So the officer, if I'm not mistaken, proceeded to, to try to go in the car. And Sterling was like, no, you can't go in my car. So he stood in his doorway. And then I guess it escalated from there. And it was just a, a horrible night. But I get the Milwaukee Bucks uh, a lot of credit because normally when, when things like that take place, at three o'clock in the morning, <clears throat> you think the athlete did something to warrant what happened. But the Milwaukee Bucks was unbelievably supportive of what went on with Sterling and took his side and had his back 100% when that incident took place. And that was the only bright part of that incident because he was traumatized and and you just got to imagine how he felt growing up with his dad as a police officer, like Doc Rivers' dad was a police officer, you know, in his house and then for that to happen to him in in the middle of the night. Yes. That's a lot of police officers in Maywood, yeah, Coach Brown. Sure Everybody in Maywood is a police officer. <laughs> it ain't that big. Everybody sure. So for that to happen to him. But you got a absolutely. lot of time for Maywood, Coach. Absolutely. Just think about. As you mentioned earlier, you said Michael Finley and Donnie so Boyce. D. And Brown. Everybody Brown, else from Maywood. D. Brown, Javon Carter. Brown, Javon Carter. Yeah, Javon Steven Carter. Hunter, Reggie Jordan. Um... Did I say Shannon? D. Yeah. Brown, D. Brown, Sterling, yeah, Shannon, yeah, Shannon Mike Sterling. Finley, yeah. Donnie Boyson, Sherelle Ford, all of them came from Proviso East. One high school, all played in it. Doc Rivers, all played and in it. Doc NBA. Rivers as well, right? All played uh, in the NBA. Doc Rivers too. Think about that. Bob, we, we got our we got our guest back, Reggie. We got Neil Askew is back on the line. I think we crossed him over off the line, but Neil, if you want to come back in now. 
Ask you, can you hear us? I got disconnected. Okay, Coach Brown, so I think he's, he's question, still, he, I got disconnected, man. We know. Did he answer it? We thought, thought you got intimidated by Coach Brown, Coach Brown again. <laughs> hey, Coach Brown showed me a lot back in the day. A lot in the day. He's very skilled, very knowledgeable in what he does. Appreciate that, bro. Did Did you answer the question, though, that I asked? Did, did you have any good stories you could tell, Neil? Yeah. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Did, no, did you I have any good stories of Coach you Brown you could tell us, Neil? No. Or no, any true no. stories? All I, all I remember is he did whatever he could for all the players. I mean, if we ever need anything, all we had to do was knock on his door, and he would take care of whatever he could for us. And I still appreciate that, Coach. I appreciate you, bro. I appreciate you paying it forward. And, I, and, like, and, that, and that's all I live for. And I, and I tell my clients the same thing. Now in the NBA, if you have gratitude over attitude, that's all I want. You know, I, I you know, I, I make a good living. I don't have any more disconnection notices. And, you know, I grew up poor and I was 30 cents from a quarter. And, you know, I'm blessed to to be able to, you know, do this. Wow. But, you know, in all honesty, I don't do it for the money. I don't I'm not I'm not financially driven. I'm not uh, motiv motivated from a monetary standpoint at all but i know if i do my best to affect their lives and affect their careers and they show gratitude man that's the best feeling in the world it's the best feeling in the world and you know i appreciate neil saying that because i know he knows everything i did was from the heart and i always try to be honest with him and I always try to keep it real with him even if it was non-basketball related, you know, I should try to get Neil to go to his left, but he was like, coach, can't nobody stop me from going right. <laughs> uh oh, that's true. That's true. Uh oh. <laughs> hey coach. Hey, Hey. I oh boy. I was going to say, uh, hello. We might've, we might've yes, lost Neil again. I, I think yeah, he's timid here. You, you, you hear that? Well, I guess maybe uh, since we're waiting for Neil, I, I did want to ask you, Reggie, about uh, your experience at Priority Sports. You know, you've been there more than 20 years, and I'm sure that uh, being an agent has evolved with the type of marketing uh, ads, other stuff that NBA players want to do, um, you know, maybe getting their shoes. So I guess how did you have to kind of change with the times and like what are the things that your clients have to know um, just, just with all the opportunities out there? Well, first of all, marketing has always existed. We have a, a full, we're a full service agency. We have a marketing team of uh, six people in-house and that's all they focus on is uh, marketing and endorsement deals and image uh, growing of the wow. clients okay. day in, day out. And a lot of people see LeBron James and there's only one LeBron James. Okay. So some of the expectations are unrealistic and I use, you know, Dennis Rodman as an example. 
Dennis Rodman was an unbelievable player. But I think at some point, the off-the-court things became a priority versus the basketball stuff. Now, a lot of that was other personal things going on with his life. But some of the 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 endorsements and if you if you miss in practice or workouts to go shoot a commercial or if you not uh being somewhere on time to to go uh do an, another endorsement deal or speaking engagement or or something to increase your popularity and you don't take care of your your craft you know it can it can get you know become a slippery slope become a slippery slope and like some players view of themselves is completely different from what the world uh sees and it's just, it's just kind of unfortunate and i'm in a in a tough position because i want my clients to have that 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 status or that pop that popularity and and things of that nature but i also want them to continue to have an unbelievable career and get the most out of their career because I know how fragile this is and I know it could be over with in a split second. Coach, yeah. Coach, we, we had a, a question. I'm sorry. We had another uh, listener question, Bob, that came in. Yeah. Uh, it was in regards to Bradley Beal. Yeah, um, you still have that it question, seems Bob? like Bradley Beal – is very underrated. He's he's kept on improving, especially the last three years. And this year, he finally got in the All Star game, scoring about thirty points a game. Why do why do you think, Reggie, that maybe he's overlooked? Is it just because we're oversaturated with great guards, or maybe maybe it's his market? What what do you think it is? Well, I'm, I'm, first of all, Brad is a unbelievable person. First of all. And he, without exaggeration, is one of the elite players in this league. So I just think the NBA really sends the wrong message when you kind of sabotage or ignore what a Brad Beal has done. I don't, if I'm not mistaken, I know the second leading scorer in the NBA doesn't make all NBA. Like that's, that's almost impossible. Like who's voting? Wow. Like, like, are you, are you watching the basketball games? Have you seen what he's done on wow. that team? Regardless of, you know, um, having another star player injured the last two seasons if not three seasons, and he didn't, you know, choose to run and and go elsewhere when he could have. He stayed put. He stayed loyal. He stayed dedicated, and he made his own bed and created his own house. And so you send a message to say, well, if you had been over here with such and such or over here and there, and did this, we we honor it more. When that that ain't right, that ain't right to me. These these awards are 
individual awards. They're not team awards. They're individual awards. So he needs to be evaluated as an individual. And his individual numbers are remarkable compared to some of the people that made it over him. And I don't understand it. Add the fact that he's an unbelievable citizen and community person. He does a ton of things. If I'm not mistaken, I think he won the community award a year ago or two years ago. And the things he does outside mm-hmm. of basketball that you don't even hear about without attention. He don't brag about it. He just does things because uh, of his heart and how he feels. And uh, I, I just I just don't get it. So I, I just – you know, I, 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 this probably was the most I've been disappointed uh, as an agent because I feel, and I know, I mean, I know so much, you know, and 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 they do too, you know. We, you know, we we put it out there. We've, you know, we've had conversations to defend his position. For him not to be all NBA is unbelievable. I think you told us, Reggie, um, there was a story mm. about uh, Doug McDermott before he came into the NBA. Would you like to share that with our listeners? It was like the year before, I, I guess, he graduated. Yeah. He, um, well, first, um, I coached with um, Brian McDermott at Dakota State. I was his assistant. He's first cousins with Greg McDermott, who at the time – was coaching at, I don't want to say Wayne State, or I think it was either Wayne State or North Dakota School. They're his first cousin. Fast forward, I'm an agent. I get uh, sent to Iowa to see Harrison Barnes. Now, I have another client who I'm just trying to put all this stuff together for y'all. Another client that played for Iowa State back then, Will Blaylock, played for the Detroit Pistons. You know, he had a few cups of coffee uh, in the NBA. Real Will Blaylock was really – yeah, he was really, really good. Very solid body. guard, Coach, I can say. Will Very Blaylock good guard. used to babysit McDermott. When his dad – I want to say his dad was coaching mm-hmm. at Iowa State at the time when he was younger. So I go to see Harrison Barnes. Wow. And I, I couldn't put it together that this was, you know, Greg McDermott's son. But I remember after the game saying that, hey, I I came to see Harrison Barnes, and he's good, but I'm more impressed with this kid right here, this McDermott kid. And, you know, I'm not putting everything together at the time until I leave and I realize that, hey, you know what? That's Brian McDermott's cousin, uh, son. And I, I told, wow. um, I think it was his mom at the time, and I don't know if she remembers this, that your son's going to be a pro. I told her, I came to see Harrison Barnes, but I was more impressed with your son. I think he's an NBA player. And I, and I remember that. And then fast forward, I ended up representing him. Now, his junior year, he was projected as a, a top 20 pick. But uh, – he 
wasn't ready to go to the NBA. He knew they had a good team. He really wanted, he really felt like he was uh, going to miss out on college basketball. And that's the other thing. The NBA is completely different from college basketball. I tell guys all the time, if you enjoy college, you know, and you love college basketball, you got to stay as long as you can because the NBA is going to be completely different. It's more business. It's more work than than fun. The college basketball experience is going to be the best times you have in your life. You will never, ever, ever get that in the NBA. The NBA stands for no babies allowed. It also stands for never broke again mm -hmm. if you do what you're supposed to do. <laughs> so it, it, it's, it's completely <laughs> – huh? Coach, speaking of that, no, Coach, I, I was going to transition because we were going to say, speaking of that, what, we mm -hmm. had another a question come in from a, a listener saying that, you know, in that, in that situation, you mentioned never broke again. Um, but as a sports agent or, uh, you know, as a representative, what would be the best advice that you, or resource that you could share with younger players, say, you know, like in Isaiah Cannon's case, a second round pick a guy, or a guy who might be on a rookie deal that may, you know, he can't keep up with the Joneses uh, like other players. Um, you know, what would you tell them to preserve their money and make the right First decisions? Of all, agents aren't financial advisors. We often get the blame when a guy goes broke, and, I, and, it, and it makes my skin crawl to hear this. When a guy goes broke or he no longer has money, the first thing they say was, who is his agent? We view financial advising as a conflict of interest. My job is to make you as much money as possible as a player, but not to tell you what to do with it. However, I do offer my common sense two cents. I tell people all the time, common sense is the most expensive sense on the planet. Because I need these guys to understand mm. that if you have a long career, you have a long career, you're going to be retired, most of us, in your early 30s. And that's a great career. So you got to maintain a certain lifestyle for the rest of your life. And a lot of guys don't view it that way. And a lot of guys come into it with no education financially or, or, or no understanding of what it's like to have money because most of them come from nothing. So you just can't give uh, mm -hmm. uh, a person millions of dollars that never had it. Like it's a it's a whole nother level of understanding. So I think the NBA does a, a, a great job in the beginning with the seminars and the lectures that they have, you know, uh, about financial literacy. But I don't think they keep their foot on the gas enough to help these guys during the process. 
because a lot of these guys, you know, they just, you know, mm-hmm. they check the check and, and can't wait to spin and can't wait to do it. And they, they're not saving. And, you know, you don't have, you don't have LeBron James wealth. Like LeBron James has wealth and, and you see what he's done from a business uh, standpoint and that he's been unbelievable. He's un- unbelievable. So he has, he has lifetime wealth. The rest of them don't. The rest of them are gonna go from uh, millionaires to thousandaires, and that's a that's a devastating uh, blow. Wow. After after basketball, when those checks ain't coming in, so I tell them, look, you gotta save, and you gotta have creative ways to say no. Because you're gonna have a bunch of family and friends. You're gonna have cousins that you didn't know you had. And you can't say yes all the time. The word no only got two letters. Yes got three. Use the two letters. <laughs> yeah, Bob, um, did, did you have any more uh, listener if, questions coming? Any, any other questions on your end, Bob? pre-draft talent evaluation that you do. Um, how, how do you identify future pros? What are the things that you look for? Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a motor guy. If I see a guy... Because that, that's the one thing I, I haven't been able to help or teach, so to speak. I can't teach a guy to put forth maximum effort and to play hard. So if I find a guy that's, that's talented and he has a really good motor, I'm going to the casino with that. I'm, I'm a gamble on that every time because, you know, I'm, I'm not reinventing the wheel. Like there's a ton of drills. And, and skill sets that I can work with a guy on that if he's putting forth maximum effort and he's already gifted and talented, like if you do something every day, you're going to eventually be good at it. Like you're going to eventually be good at it. It's like, it's almost impossible for you not to improve. So if I got a guy like that, I'm going, I'm going all in on him. I'm going all in on him. Uh, and I- th- Go oh, ahead. sorry. No, continue. I didn't mean to overstep. Yeah. So we, um, our pre-draft uh, program is is super tough. It's super intense. Like we 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 try to make it as uncomfortable as possible, and we get players outside of their comfort zone. We get players to do things that they've never done before. We also enhance their strengths and address all their weaknesses. So I want you to be completely out of your element and completely out of your comfort zone in a with a boot camp mentality for about two weeks. And then I'll dial you back and make you a pro all over again, a polished pro in a short period of time. So when they NBA teams see you, they can see, wow, he was really good in college, but did you see him now? Do you see the change in his body? You know, a change in their diet. Um, um, they mm. sleeping. They sleeping time. Getting the rest. Uh, icing and, and and therapy. You know, you, you spending you spending thirty minutes on ball handling, fifteen minutes at a time versus ten minutes every other day. You shooting. You shooting a thousand shots mm. versus 
the 200 shots you were shooting. You're doing the Euro step, you know, uh, 15 times a day from every angle of the court, from the right wing, the middle, and the left wing. Versus I was just doing this one because this is my move right here. Then you're doing opposite feet, opposite foot, uh, left hand, what I call wrong leg Craig, opposite leg. <laughs> so you're doing all types of stuff that you never, you never did before. And, and, and some players fight you. Some players fight you like, Coach, I ain't going to, you know, I don't think I'm going to need that one day. I'm just going to go to my position. No, okay, well, when you get to the NBA, every player is the best player wherever they came from. They jump higher. They run faster. And they're a lot bigger. And when you go in there and try to do your platinum patent move that worked for you the entire time, and that pillowcase go over your head and it get dark. Call me and tell me you're ready to listen. Uh, Reggie, how has the pandemic um, mm. affected talent evaluation? Like what, what were modifications that you and your agency have ha- had to do? Well, a lot, a lot of video. Right? And, it, and this is the, the tough part for me because um, our bread and butter was if I get to be in the gym with you and like really put my hands on you, so to speak, I knew I could mold you into a better player in a short period of time. Now I got to rely on all virtual communication, all uh, video footage. So I watch a ton of tape. I just, that's all I watch is basketball footage all day, every day. Like I'd be up at sometime three in the morning because it's a lot to see and I don't want to miss out on anything. So I have to, I have to do it that way. And I can't, I can't like put my fingerprints on it like I, like I normally do. So we, um, are, you know, have demonstrators and, um, we got, we have to kind of do it this way until things get back to normal. So it's been tough, but you know, you just can't get that feel, feel as like normal, normally, you know, I can't yell at a guy to, you know, hey, listen, you can go faster than that. You can go harder than that. You know, I could talk to him about it on the video, but it don't have the same effect. Coach, Co- Coach, is, it, is there a please? place where the, the basic and brown? Oh, I think I think Theus might have uh, gotten lost, but I think what he was asking Reggie is, yeah, uh, Reggie, I think he was Can asking where can um, our listeners find you on social media or um, online. Uh, I'm retro Reggie. I'm, I'm, no, I'm no social media. Sports. None at all. Sorry, guys. Okay. Hey, Coach Brown. No, no. I, I, they, we just had yeah, two. If I'm, I could, Coach Brown, I had I'm two good, last listener questions. So I had I just one. Yeah. Yeah, we, we had one question about from a, a player uh, is actually a player overseas, and he was interested in knowing uh, at Priority Sports, do you guys more focus on representation overseas or no, we, is there a segment of the G League that you focus on? We have on? both. We have uh, more both. G we League or NBA. more like overseas? We, you know, I have a, 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 a unbelievable European client list 
and I have uh, some young players and there's a few veterans in the G League. So uh, you know, we do uh, we do everything. We we full service. Everything. And Coach Brown, he's kind of asking off air, yeah, would we be able to uh, possibly send you forth the information you can give him to my you? Email. I'm not going to say my email. Uh, you can just, get, whoever that is, give it. Give them my email. Right, exactly. Okay. Yes. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah I, I can speak to you off the air, Coach, Coach Brown, about that as well. Okay. I did. Um, I remember uh, Bob, did you, did you were, have any um, other questions for uh, Coach Reggie? We were kind of talking about you kind of interacted with LeBron's inner circle with uh, Rich Paul and Maverick Carter. Can you share that with our listeners, please? Yeah, I just have I had communication early on, um, prior to Rich Paul be, becoming an becoming an agent, and um, he's actually one of the first um, certified agents to not have a a college degree. Um, and I, I I don't know what process he went through, but you know I, I remember. Um, different agents or different NBA people asking, you know, how we felt about that. Cause you know, the, the rule was you had to have a degree in order to be a certified agent. And um, to my knowledge at the time, he didn't have that. I don't know if he um, got it later or whatever the case may be, whatever steps he took to get it or whatever. But, you know, they were asking, do I, what I, do I think he should be able to, um, have a certification without a degree. And I was like, oh, why not? Like, I mean, what what can you, I mean, not to downplay the degree because I love and appreciate my education and I know that I wouldn't be where I am without it. But if he's qualified, especially to the clients, to do the job that we do, then why should we stop him from being certified and have the opportunity to represent his his friend? And then he's you see what he's done in the business. You know, um, I, I, I would like to think that some of the words and advice that I gave early on helped him, um, helped his journey and his path. And um, especially as a a young black man, I, I, I like to see, um, as me as an older black man, I like to see him succeed and, and, and accomplish what he has in a, in a short period of time. And he's, he's done a great job and I'm, I'm happy for him. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy. Like, like I have competitors in this business and this business is super, super duper cutthroat, but I don't wish anything bad on anybody. I just want you to do things the right way and, don't lie and, and deceive and misuse and abuse the players and uh, the opportunities you have to grow in this business. It, it just ain't worth it at the end of the day because the game remains the same and you just, you know, I don't want to contaminate the game. It's a beautiful game and you just shouldn't, shouldn't contaminate it. Coach, I know we kind of asked you a lot of questions. We we, ha- we usually have a, on our social media, we kind of have like a question of the week. And we, we kind of wanted to pick your brain because I know you're a veteran of the game. Uh, the, one of the, the more 
receptive questions we had was uh, about three weeks ago. Uh, they asked, in our opinion, Coach, uh, who is the more exciting player to watch between uh, Steve Francis and Baron Davis? Uh, who do you think would win Man, that? And, and both as far as your opinion good. would go, both of them is good. But I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to roll with BD because BD had a little bit more. Yeah, he had a little bit more bebop, more bop to his game, right? Bop, bop, and he had a like a second gear. Now Stevie franchise is tough too now, but I'm a, I'm a, if I had to pick, I'm a, I'm a roll with BD. Okay, that's a good. We our second one, the one that we had a lot of opinions on. Uh, it was kind of like a, if they would have never got hurt type of deal, or what if uh, between who would have had a better career between Chicago's Derrick Rose Same and boat. my dude guy Grant Hill. And I'm Chicago to the bone, so I don't want to go against Derrick Rose. But Derrick <laughs> Rose did become MVP. But listen. I saw Grant Hill, man, when he hurt that ankle. Right, like exactly. You can literally see the ankle kind of daggling and shaking. Like, he shouldn't have even been playing. So I saw what Grant Hill went through. But Grant Hill was – you talk about all wow. around just solid player, man. It's it's kind of scary what he, what, he, what, he, what he could be. But for Derrick Rose to be that size and, and – be that explosive and dynamic. I'm just just because I'm from Chicago, I'm a roll with Derrick Rose because I can't go against Chicago. I'm sorry. Absolutely, and Coach. You're saying we uh the one that we had would have been the finals, and of course we could see the the finals wrap up tonight in game, you know, in game uh, five with LeBron. With Le- uh, LeBron and Lakers and the Heat. We, uh, the question this week was, uh, and I, thought, I think Bob answered it too, who was the most underrated championship dynasty between the 80s Pistons bad boys that run they had with Isaiah and Rick Mahorn and Lambeer or the Kim Olajuwon's Houston Rockets when they had Kenny Smith, Sam Cassell, and uh, Clyde Drexler? Which, which team do you think is kind of forgotten the most or underrated? The Pistons because – I mean, you knew you knew how how good Isaiah Thomas was and Joe Dumas, but you know you had Bill Lambert who couldn't jump over a smash pop can. Dennis Rodman was Dennis Rodman, <laughs> but he wasn't quite oh. Dennis Rodman. Uh, Mark Aguirre was on the tail end of, of, of his career. Uh, John Sally, you know those guys, but prior to them winning, you didn't really know those guys. But we knew who Akeem Olajuwon was right from the beginning. Kenny the Jet Smith from the beginning. Sam Cassell, wow, from the beginning. Like all them guys, you knew about already, and that was a really good team. Clyde Dress, Clyde the Glide, from the beginning. Like you knew about those guys, but the Pistons, the way mm-hmm. they did it, and how hardcore and their brand of basketball to be able to win like that with really just 
one consistent like superstar. Now they had stars, but Isaiah was the only superstar. He kind of carried that team and did kind of what, you know, kind of what Allen Iverson couldn't do in a maybe in a tougher era would be a leader and lead a team to winning. Uh, Coach, what what is your about? I was going to ask Coach, um, you know, would it be in the finals? What what are your impressions so far uh, of the NBA I, finals? I, I and what have you thought a, of the series really great between series. the Heat and the Lakers? Uh, you know, remarkable how Miami has been able to compete with a. Um, a shortage of, 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 of talent with players being injured and so on and so forth. And, and you know, the Lakers are, are, are talented and, and they, they, on talent, on paper, you know, they, they're the better team. But I, I've, I've enjoyed every, every single game. You know, I, you know I, I don't view it as automatic. I know the Lakers are up 3-1, but I also know at every, any given time, Miami could, you know, win a game, and I never felt like they were out of the game. So maybe, maybe the Lakers will close out tonight because they they know that that Miami is a dangerous team. Miami is a dangerous team, and uh, just just the, you know, like Absolutely. I told you, I'm a motor guy. So Jimmy Butler competing and and just his will to 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 want to win and. At all costs, uh, you know, I can appreciate that. And, you know, how you get every single player on that team to buy in. You know, Tyler Hero, 20 years old, playing on that stage, you know, being fearless and, and just going all in. is You know, just it's remarkable to see from a basketball fan standpoint. Really is. And coach, I'll, I'll transition over back over to Bob. Bob, with any more, any last listener yeah, questions or any wondering, you know, we saw uh, the insights last you had for recently Coach Brown and uh, your cousin was on that team. Did did you did he ever have you meet any of the players? Like, did you ever stop by practice or the locker room and meet some of those guys? Man, I was around the entire time. Been around all that. Been around MJ, Scotty, Pax. Well, you know, Pax was the. Um, uh, front in the front office with the Bulls, so I still have relationships with him and uh, interacted with him. And uh, yeah, I was around the entire time, and uh, it's just uh, just being around uh, MJ. Uh, it's like, and I and I say this all the time, you know. And you know, people compare LeBron, Kobe, and and it's like MJ was so different, like. You talk about competitive. I've never seen nothing like, like it. nothing like it. I mean, he want to he want to win. Who sit down at, at dinner? Who want he want to win? Who finished dinner first? He he was super duper competitive, super duper competitive, and he worked at it. He worked at it. You know, I had uh, B.J. Armstrong tell me. MJ had one fear when he was in the NBA. So I'm like perked up trying to listen to what Michael Jordan was scared of. And he said he had one fear and he said that was a good night's sleep. He said MJ never went to bed. 
because he was so wound up and tuned in to what he had to do next. And then, you know, he stayed up late. He got to the gym early. He worked out before every game. Get ready for the game. And he was just, he was just wired different. So I say MJ is the GOAT. Mm. Kobe is the Mamba. And LeBron is the King. They all different. They all different. I like that. They're all icons. I like that. Yep. Well, Reggie, Reggie, I I appreciate the time that you've spent with us. Uh, Thanks for dropping knowledge on uh, our listeners so we we can just learn more about the game and just the different levels. So we just appreciate you being very generous with your time. Yep. No problem at all. Yeah, Coach Brown, we appreciate it. We appreciate it definitely. We want to also, of course, thank our mutual friend, Neil Askew, uh, for, you know, helping us meet and join together. And uh, definitely, Coach Brown, we, you know, we want to thank you again, our, our listeners, our audience, and definitely look forward to, you know, awesome. to getting the, the, uh, the content out awesome. for our listeners and viewers as well. Thank you, folks. And Coach Brown, we want to thank you again. And, Bob, thank you for joining us for the 17th edition of Bayjack and Brown Hoops Up and Down podcast. It is October 9th, Friday, 2020. Audience, folks, we hope you enjoy uh, the NBA Finals game tonight. Could be the last game this season, but we will join you next week for episode 18. And again, a special thanks to Coach Reggie Brown from Priority Sports Biz and Neil Askew as well. Thank and you. folks, we hope you have a great weekend. Be, stay, be safe and God bless. Thank you. Thank you.